ahead and open the meeting. This is the September 12, 2019 Finance Committee meeting. Trustee Avalada is here. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee DeVries is not here. Trustee Peterson. Here. We do have a quorum. Is there a motion on the minutes? I make a motion to approve the minutes. Thank you. I'll second. All those in favor? Aye. Do I need Unanimous. to understand I wasn't in the meeting last time? That's not normally uh, required. Okay. Aye. Okay, let's go on to uh, B1 finance report. Hi, Ann. Very nice. Waiting for it to come up. Yep. Maybe I should change the screen. <laughs> I think after six months I would have control of this little pointer thing. All right, so um, the September um, finance report. We're going to be looking at the June highlights and then July highlights, um, some balance sheet items, and then um, the rolling 12-month forecast. All right, so for June, um, I just want to caveat this by saying that um, this is the preliminary June. We do know that we will still have some adjustments related to the audit that will pass through because we do not have all the actual reports yet. And so the final results will be presented at the audit committee, um, I believe that was the 14th of November? Yeah, sounds right. right. Some, somewhere along there. Which is our standard process. Yeah. Year Nothing unusual with that. So overall, the patient volume was lower in June compared to um, the year-to-date trend. Um, we continue to see patient days um, over budget and then post-acute patient days um, at budget. Um, clinic visits um, were 10% low budget. That's been consistent throughout the year and the physician RVUs were at budget. That Usually they're over budget, but this month they dropped a little bit and we're at budget. So for the financials, we um, currently have a net um, an operating income of $5.4 million over budget, and probably the most important fact is that our year-to-date EBITDA is at 4.7, compared to a target of 4.6. So that's probably the biggest takeaway from all the slides here. Um, the net patient service revenue is um, $17.4 million over budget, and we'll talk about that in a little more detail later. Supplemental revenue is just slightly under budget. Um, relates to why the net patient revenue is over budget um, and then expenses are 7.6 million over budget which is opposite of the trend that you've probably seen for the last three to four months where we've been running under budget mm -hmm. in june we just tend to more aggressively accrue we stay open longer so we look for um, open invoices all the way through the end of july so you don't have any of that kind of um, stuff that kind of goes month to month and rolls over, we really try to push it all we can back into June to make it as clean as possible. So on the um, net patient service revenue, the gross patient revenue was 1% under budget. We had been running over quite a bit for the last several months and so um, part of that was related to the cleanup of the EBU and the CLU or cold. cold. Mm. 
Cool. Cool. Oh, I was so close. <laughs> okay. So, um, so as those items, open items, were resolved, that revenue then interfaced into the general ledger. And so we saw a rise in our revenue that work. Uh, they've been very successful in getting those open items down. And so in June, the overall amount just kind of dropped a little lower and a little bit under budget. Um, so we also received in the month of June um, HPAC funding of 28.7 million. So it's an addendum to our normal HPAC contract and it is related to the AB85 realignment money. Mm -hmm. So we determine what the county is going to pass over to HS for the realignment and they do an amendment on our HPAC contract. So in, in the accounting world, we need to record that income according to the contract and so we put it under the HPAC line which causes the net patient service revenue to look very positive in June and changed our collection percentage up to 26.2%. If I strip out the HPAC funding, we drop back down to 15.6 which is a little lower than um, the average that we've been running. So, when you receive the 26 million for the realignment, we also want to turn around and create reserves on, on that money. So, part of what we did in the supplemental revenue is we brought in 14.5 million um, related to reserves that we had for the Medi-Cal waiver that we've determined we don't need at this point in time. We, we feel comfortable bringing them into income. Um, I'm going to skip over Measure A for a minute. We um, adjusted our model program by 0.8 million based on some tentative buildings, billings. And then on the physician spa, we know that we have a potential liability of about $5 million, $5 million a year for six years, so a period of fiscal year 08 through 13. So we went ahead and reserved that and created a reserve for that potential liability. Now on the Measure A money, we, um, we look at that and we had not done any adjustments. We had been booking it pretty close to budget. And we saw that in the first six months it had increased. But I really expected based on prior year trending that we were going to see a pretty big shift down that first calendar quarter of 2019. Well, it just kept increasing. So we've trued it up and we ended up 10.1 million dollars over our budget mm -hmm. for the year. So I think it was about 125 million. Maybe 12% yeah. increase. I don't understand. 12.6% increase yeah. over the prior year. And when you so compare that to well actually when you compare it to the increases uh, for all the prior years they were running closer to 2 to 3%. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, if you try to explain on a high level, the only thing we could see on a sort of a macro level was the tax uh, change yeah. uh, in terms of the implementation of the federal tax cuts. Uh, okay. Usually that drop that Ann mentions happens in January uh, through the first quarter because it's connected to post-holiday, yeah. uh, you know, the shopping binge. Mm -hmm. People now uh, bought all the Christmas gifts and now, you know, the um, spending or, or uh, shopping declines. But as you mentioned this year, we didn't see that. Uh, drop, and so and then going forward, the question is, will that still occur, or are signs of a potential yeah. oncoming, coming, um, uh, what do you call it, 
recession, recession uh, would, would maybe curtail uh, behavior. So, uh, so uh, the health agency actually, I think it, I believe it's through uh, finance at the county, has access to projections of mm -hmm. sales tax, and they make that available to the oversight committee, Missouri Oversight Committee. That'd be nice, I think, if staff could get a hold of that. Okay. Uh, Rebecca Gephardt, I'm sure, would be glad to help. Yeah. She didn't offer that. She did share her projection with me, which um, I think we shared at the special board meeting, possibly. I mean, the other way to get it is just to request the packet for the Missouri okay. Oversight Committee. Okay. I wonder if they've posted that online. Is they do so. so many things. I could do some searching for that. Yeah, we do have the overarching projection. We use that as a basis of having a conversation with them, which we did in some detail, uh, greater detail, about a week ago or so now, uh, to explain kind of our forecasts and the difference in what we were, how we were approaching this to what they were. Uh, yeah, this is actually analysis done on the uh, for local government around the projected. Uh, realization of uh, sales tax. Oh, okay. So it's it's uh, and it's broken out by category actually. It's oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Wow, yeah. it is interesting. Okay. okay, I'll look for that. All right. So then on the um, expenses, um, FTEs just decreased slightly between the two months. Salary and wages were over budget by three million, um, partly we partly because of uh, um, some RN overtime. And then um, partly, and I found this post after I'd already uploaded this and doing some analysis work for the audit, um, we had um, an error on one of our journal entries. And so we will be booking an entry through the audit that will reduce salary benefits by about 1.4 million. So that number will actually come down in the final audit report. Um, benefits um, were over, which is the Total dollars are consistent, but you know we had the little budget problem, and so this will be the last month that I have to talk about the budget problem there. Um, purchase services, um, 1.7 million over. The bulk of the variance lives within five um, departments, so I've listed those for you. And pharmaceutical, um, 0.8 million over, um, mostly related to a half million dollar reserve for um, potential 340B audit findings that we're currently ongoing. So we've created a reserve of about 1.5 million. And in my last conversation with um, Rick, um, he feels like that would be adequate based on his subsequent work after I started booking a reserve. So are some of this higher than usual expenditure related to end of the year uh, purchasing in order to close out a budget? No, um, I, I think what I said a couple months ago, and maybe it wasn't this meeting, um, for some reason in June, it's like people that have been holding, it's like they must hold the invoices and then they, they run them through in July. I think they think it will go into July, uh -huh. but we actively search for it and then we push it back into June. I so I think there's a little timing going on and it could be a little bit of people go, oh, I've got extra budget dollars, let me go ahead and get this extra item. I mean, so it's kind of a combination of things. Yeah. I want to look at the culture there. Yes. But I do know in accounting, we do a fairly in-depth search of subsequent receipts because we know that our audit team is going to also do that. And so I, we try very hard to have them not come to me and say, oh, you missed accruing 
60,000 over here because we can see that on the subsequent check run. Right. Okay. Can it also be external vendors closing out their year and kind of pushing things? It, it, it could be. Um, I have to say that the AP team went through um, some lean work. And so they um, have reestablished a process of obtaining um, statements from all the vendors, and that's one of the manager and her lead staff is to go through all the statements every month and work the outstanding items. So we have had some things that have popped up um, from that where there was just some old stuff that I think overall the account was current enough for the vendor, but we're looking at it going, oh, we haven't paid you some really old invoices. Let us get those through. So I think it's a combination of things, but with the AP team, we're definitely hitting on the right track to have, I think, more accurate, timely, timely in terms of input and timely in terms of payment. Do you, do you, want, do you also think in, in throughout the year, you know, sometimes invoices don't get processed as quickly as they should, and then right, and then it, then then it becomes July and you're truing everything up. And then all you know, so July tends to pop up a little higher. Right? Well, you know, so. want to speak to a little bit of how the lean work? Yeah, so that was that. part of um, with Luis's um, assistance. Mm -hmm. He was able to get us on the lean schedule, uh -huh. and so they came in and worked with the AP staff because we knew we had a problem because we would all of a sudden have vendors calling us saying we're turning mm -hmm. off services because you've not paid up ten months of invoices. So. We knew there was an issue that also impacts our financials. And so the lean team came in and spent um, weeks. It felt like forever with them. <laughs> but they're a great group. And they brought food, which was really nice. And so they literally, the whole team sat in a room and just had sticky notes all over the wall and charts. And it was great team building. And they redesigned workflows. And so we don't have an elect system for our workflow in AP. Mm -hmm. So what they were doing is they were like, they got the paper, then they scanned the paper, they emailed it to the business owner who then had to approve it and email it back, and, and then we literally matched the invoice back to a paper copy of the check. I mean, you'd just be amazed when you spent time there. Mm -hmm. So we still don't have a total electronic workflow, but they were able to creatively start to use Adobe and we developed an escalation process so that if one of my managers gets an invoice and they don't approve it in three days, it escalates up to me to resolve. And then if I just sort of don't pay any attention to it, then it's going to escalate up to the CFO. And then if she doesn't do anything with it, then it's going to end up with the vacuum. To create a visibility around it. And, and sometimes it's not necessarily the person not doing anything with it because they are shirking their responsibility, but, you know, somebody's out, and by the time right. the other person responded, you know, you just have these big lags to the point that they're bringing. So I think what the team was trying to do and uh, seemed to have done a great job at is creating more um, standard work in the process that allows yeah. for uh, natural things that occur, but to to mitigate that that lag that would occur if you compound those things and that's great. more. And then it also, when you get something that's not yours and you know that if you don't respond to it in three days, people are writing back saying, hey, this isn't mine. You, I think it belongs to so-and-so. And so we've been able to straighten out some things where I think people are busy and they'd go, oh, that's not mine. I'm not going to let the person who's CC'd on the email worry about it. So 
it didn't take very long before I think we got some really good traction around it. And then the other thing we did, which Mike mentioned in the audit committee meeting, was we started um, when AP received invoices for things that weren't authorized prior to the service being obtained, we also have a process on that to obtain approval at a higher level for that. So we can you know, stop some of that activity and make sure we have the right contracts in place, the PO, the right approvals before services happen. So the entire group between contracting, you know, and AP and the leadership, I think they've just made great strides great. in this area. Thanks for sharing that. Look through everything. That was Sylvia's team, by the Sylvia's way. Sylvia's team. Back there. Yeah. I was yeah, the one who brought the food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> from and she, home. She, yeah. she emits that, too. Yeah. Yeah. This was from home. She brought it from home? I did. Yeah. Wow. She cooked it. Very special. Then she got Panera boxes and wrapped it in the Panera box, and we would think it was from Panera's. <laughs> All right, so, so this is the um, July financials. We're going to start over again. So in July, we don't have an approved budget, so we are kind of deviating from our standard presentation and not showing it against budget. We are showing it against the projection. And um, that I presented in May with the rolling 12-month rolling forecast is that projection that you saw back in May. So overall, the outpatient volume is lower compared to the trend. Well, that's because when I looked at the trend, it had all that. It was extra charges from cleaning up the EBU and everything, because I won't get that second name right still. And so um, I thought we were getting more charges. I didn't understand that we were actually getting more charges because we were cleaning up prior things. Mm -hmm. So in June, you know, the actual drop, but my projection, didn't know that, so it stayed high. Um, the emergency room visits were um, lower um, compared to May and June. So we, you know, had 317 in May and then we're at 310 for July um, per calendar day. So I, I just converted the total number and divided it by the number of calendar days. So it would be somewhat comparable. Um, the good news is that the deliveries were 120 deliveries in June, which is a 30% increase over both May and June individually. Yeah. So pretty amazing. I guess if you talk about it, it happens. It's <laughs> <laughs> not normal. It usually takes nine months after talking about yeah. it. For that. <laughs> right. yeah. I was trying to think October. Nine years ago. October was a good month. Yeah. But this, <laughs> uh, but yes, at a later stage when you were thinking, talking about this doesn't have yet anything to do with the UCSF. Thing. Uh, That's where I was going. <coughs> probably yes and no. I mean, you know, to, to Anne's point, the talking about it has materialized in like some, you know, just say the latent activities around it, not necessarily the complete plan. The yeah. plan is still being finalized. Terry and uh, Dr. Smith and others are still putting all the pieces together. But, mm -hmm. but as we mentioned, the conversations and the outreaches, not just with UCSF, but the CFCN, those have started in earnest. And so there could be some kind of tangential connection between those activities or again something happened back in October that is materializing in a way that uh, right. made July look uh, very um, cold October. direction yeah favorable <laughs> in terms of direction and, and what we want to see because I think our goal is yeah. 200 more deliveries over the course of the year yeah and so August um, I just took a quick look at August it looks positive not as positive as um, July did 
but it's still running over our trend okay, for fiscal year 19. So that when is I, still good. Yeah, when I saw 200, I'm like, there's no way. This is like so yeah. well, adventure, you know, don't, optimistic. Don't count us out yet. I know. <laughs> this is good. Okay, so on the operating income, so we are showing um, a loss of $4 million, but it is less than our my projected loss that I had of $5.4 million. So better outcome. Um, the EBITDA is a negative 3.2%, and the net operating revenue was about $1.4 million over the projection. Can you remind and us why we expect to project a loss in July? So, you know, that this the way this projection worked is it rolled off of the actual activity that happened 12 months earlier, and then we did some projections around did we think we were going to have a rate increase, a salary increase, and then every month you know, we just keep rolling it forward. So I just literally just pulled it off and did that. But isn't July normally a, a loss leader month? Yes. I, or a little more closer to break even, I think. Okay. But it's not a month where you're ahead of yourself. Okay. Yeah, July and even August, there's this sort of um, quiet months because you have done so much work at the end of the prior year that mm -hmm. it just takes a while for it to kind of all ramp back up again okay. and get going. And, and we appreciate that because there's a lot of other things going on simultaneously. So. Makes sense. Okay. But if you look at them in the two areas, and maybe you're going to go into this. Um, yeah, probably on the next yeah. slide or two. Yeah, you break it down into income and expenses, but I'll, yeah. you go ahead. Okay. It'll sort of get to that question, I think. All right. So, but on the operating expense, my crystal ball was really good. I was really close there. It's almost like perfect. Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. All right. So the net operating revenue um, was you know, over the projection by. Um, 1.7. And then um, gross patient revenue is lower. I just talked about that. So the net patient revenue included $1.8 million of cost report settlements. So that increases the um, collection percentage. And so it's at 19.5%. A little stronger than I would anticipate. So I think we will see that probably adjust down in future months. I'm missing a slide. What happened to the supplemental slide? All right. I don't know what happened to my supplemental slide. It's missing. So you wanted to talk about supplementals. Oh, here it is. But I didn't talk about it. What did you want to say about supplementals? Oh, no, no, no. That's they not were what like, I was talking about. I was, okay, because yeah. they were like right close. I didn't make any comments. Yeah, no, 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 I didn't. I was talking about expenses and... and okay. Uh, um, uh, revenue, but you're fine. We're not, we're not thinking mentally very well. It's all good. You're good. <laughs> Keep going. All right. So expenses. Um, FTEs um, increased um, up to a little bit from um, June to July, about 40 FTEs. Um, the salary and wages and reg registry net were under the projection by $1.2 The projection anticipated that we would have more open positions filled by the end of June. And so um, we still have a fair number of open positions. And our so we've increased our registry use to offset open positions. And we've also are using more registry because we are doing backfilling for EPIC training. 
and so we're seeing that up. Mm -hmm. But registry overall, if you compare it to the prior couple of months, it's pretty in line with that. Mm -hmm. So I think we were overly optimistic to think we really would get down to two million on the registry use on the projection. Mm -hmm. um, and then the benefits are 1.3 million over. This is probably going to be the high month of the entire 12 months. So we had really high um, utilization in our self-funded health plan. And so it's a claim-based plan, so it's high this month. But I would think in about six months we might see some checks back from our stop-loss insurance policy. And so we'll see lower as we reimburse those so expenses. So then, then your things like your FICA, I assume, would go down towards November, December when people... Yeah, and that, that all goes down. And then on the Sarah, um, the Sarah retirement um, expenses went up. We restarted our accruals. Um, we don't haven't we haven't quite finished all the actual work around the retirement plans, the three retirement plans that we have, and so we will probably true up our estimate a little bit as we go through the year. And the rest of the line items are pretty close. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. So this is the balance sheet. Um, Activity I've compared, you know, July to June, so we're not going to go through everything twice here. So, um, gross patient days and net AR days they decrease slightly, but are basically pretty consistent between the two months. Um, the biggest takeaway, um, uh, which is, so I'm sorry, so the days cash um, in our bank account um, decreased. Um, down to 5.8 compared to the 10.4 in June. Um, we just have lower cash. Part of that's related to the timing of the payroll and when I, we funded the payroll. So we had funded it at the end of June, but not everything had come out. July was a much cleaner month. It all just happened in the same month. And then um, AP days um, increased slightly to 45 days, but kind of staying in that level where we'd expect to. So, um, so on cash collections, um, this I just want to caveat this by saying um, that you know we are outsourcing our AR at 60 days, and we're pretty focused on Epic. And so I'm seeing that the cash collections month over month are dropping, and so that's concerning to me when I look at our cash forecast, which we'll see in a subsequent slide. So the average of the first nine months was about $52 million per month for cash collections. And you can see starting in April, we don't even get up to the $50 million mark. So I, um, we just need to focus some attention, I think, in the AR cash collections and ensure that we don't see the fall off too soon related to the EPIC. Because we know we're going to have um, slower cash collections as we go through the EPIC go live. It's just it's happening a little sooner than I expected it would. So is it that the earned amount is less or that it just it's a lag time of the billing process happening? I think it's a lag time and I think it's a, a focus of the staff. There's been, we've made some changes in the um, senior leadership in that area recently and I think we just were bringing in an interim that currently um, fingers crossed is already working for us or has an understanding of our organization. Um, he's almost accepted he just would like to meet the new CFO before he formally says yes. And so I think by getting some strong, you know, boots on the ground leadership, they can refocus and then 
I think it's it's collectible. It's not like it's aged out too long. Okay. I just think we need to get more laser focus on the cash collections. And I think there just has been a lot of turmoil for that particular group of individuals in the leadership. So part of it is like also coordination with the outsourcing. Yeah, I think it's just more more focus. But I wanted to call it out to mm -hmm. to your attention so that you're aware that mm -hmm. that we know we we have. A potential. I don't think we're at risk, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't let you know that I saw the cash collections in a major area dropping off. Mm -hmm. The new CFO starts on Monday. Yeah. Uh, so we've finally gotten over the hump. I spoke to her today. She's looking forward to getting started and working working with you all. So looking forward to meeting her. Yes. Yeah, and I think between her and, and the VP candidate, I think they'll do a great job in this area. And have the time to really focus on it. Good. All right. So here is the um, my projection of the NNB for fiscal year 2020. Um, so the little arrow is at where we ended July. So we're at um, significantly below the number for July. I'm project projecting that we are going to bounce over the top of the credit limit in. Um, October. Now, I will tell you that that's what my forecast says, but we will manage that by either reducing our AP draw request and, you know, pushing as hard as we can to get additional funds in so that we just, and you had a great word for that. The asymptotically close. <laughs> right, so that we just like, right, just skinny right underneath the line. That's like that term. I do like I that I try term. to let it go, but they keep, uh, careful what you say. That's <laughs> right. Making me say it. It's going to stick to you. I'm trying to get rid of it. Right. And then um, this forecast includes um, the expectation that we are paying back the fiscal year 17 AB 85. It's about $26 million. And... Um, we expect to pay it back um, the first part of October, or first part of November, which is what pushes us right up to the line. And um, I don't see, I had, don't have the formal request yet, but I do know we're going to pay it back. So it's just a matter of waiting to get the letter from the state, or the county to get the letter from the state and pass it over to us. So with that number going in, it puts us over the target rate at the end of June. And if I just took the, the projection and I stripped out that one number, we fall below the target. So this is just kind of demonstrating our all our conversations of as we pay these recruitments, it makes it very difficult to hit the target. Although to underscore that point, uh, clarify me if I'm wrong, uh, the, the, the curve that you have for the remainder of the year doesn't include the other right, old liabilities, right? Next slide. Oh, see. Yeah, see, you're right there. There you go. All right, so I'm projecting um, to be at 137 million at 6-30-2020, which exceeds the 125 million target. I've not reflected those four items that are listed. Um, we had five um, in the last presentation, but I've pulled off the AB um, fiscal year 17 number and added it to the projection. And so I think we're going to be at 310. But I don't think all of these things will come to pass in this year. It's a lot, though. And, you know, there are some possibility that things change. It's very early for the forecast. I mean, we're 11 months away from that target. Wow. Cringeworthy. Yeah. 
Hi, so this is the 12 month um, rolling forecast. Um, I've put this in here just so that you can see it. I have not incorporated um, any of the proposed budget changes. Um, and so until we get the final budget, then we'll go back and we'll go back to presenting a fiscal year, you know, forecast and, a and we'll take a look at the rolling forecast. And that's on our agenda next week. Yeah. The board's Two weeks. agenda. Yeah. Two, Two weeks from now. Yes. Thank you. So that is it for me. So I, I um, what questions? Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I, really I wanted to personally thank you, Ann, for stepping up yeah, no during the last four or five months. Six. Uh, six months, okay. <laughs> Set the record track. <laughs> almost, no. Oh. It's almost like exactly and, six months. And it was such a calm period. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so little happening. Yeah, yeah, so I, I re really appreciate yeah. you uh, being willing to do that. I'm uh, happy to do it for you. Thank you. And we'll see you around. Yeah, I'll still be here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We have to get through all these audits first. Exactly. Right? <laughs> Thanks, Anne. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. And now we'll go on to B2, uh, our COO's report. Mr. Fonseca. Good to see yes, you. Good afternoon. I, in, in all actuality, I mean, I would love to, to get your thoughts on this, but uh, as far as the, the report, the COO report for the month of June, um, I, there, there really were no major uh, indicators that uh, for, for that particular month. Uh, if, if you prefer or if you're okay, I would rather just discuss the July report. And it makes sense. Okay. Yep. Thank you. We're waiting for this slide deck to show up. There we go. If you're wondering why we're waiting. Thank you. All right, so focusing on July, there's only a few things that I want to highlight. I'm not going to go through the entire report. You have it in your packet. Uh, the few things are, first and foremost, we went ahead and added a slide to this report that we'll continue to use as a tracking tool. These are some of those initiatives and strategies that we put in place that we built into the budget uh, as, as far as, um, you know, those volume increases or some of those uh, indicators where we were looking at, at uh, capturing additional revenue to enhance uh, those, those components of the budget. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a mechanism, a simple way of us looking at where we're at, how we're tracking, and how we want to make sure that we stay and remain accountable to those initiatives. So we have that in place here. They are, we, you know, we listed those that were, uh, you know, high level in nature and, and that were very specific and targeted to specific areas. Uh, so as you can see at this point in time in July, many of these initiatives were uh, efforts that we knew were going to take some time to ramp up. And so we're working through the process, and in many cases, some of these will not start, as you've seen in some of our notes here, until October, November, or sometimes even in January, mm -hmm. as we're looking at. And so the gains or whatever adjustments we made to the budget are reflective of that same time frame. So if we looked at starting an initiative in January, we're capturing whatever improvements or revenues from January through June. So at, at this point in time, uh, again, I, all I would say is that we're, we're continuing to look at these areas, we're focusing on those efforts, and we're going to make sure that we provide this update on a regular basis, on a monthly basis as part of the COO report. 
So, uh, thank you, Luis. And um, this is, uh, uh, I think it was actually you, Trustee Siegelman, um, when we did the preliminary uh, budget approval request, you asked for, I believe you asked for, uh, an a ongoing update on these big initiatives right. and how. So, so we welcome your feedback either now that. or later on if this format uh, works for that purpose or if you were uh, hoping to see something a, a bit different. I, I think this is precisely what I was looking for. For, for example, uh, L&D, uh, you know, it's a big initiative, and it's nice to see it up here and see that there are steps uh, taken, and it would be great to be able to track that in the future. Yeah. And so we'll tether it to you'll, you know, as you're saying, calling it out beyond just it being embedded in the numbers. What what are the actual results here? So, for example, the 200 new births for that one that you're talking about, uh, we can we can begin to after the budget's approved, uh, have the July uh, or I'm sorry, the August and subsequent reports show. You know, increase in deliveries 20 year over year, 30 year over year, hopefully closing in on that 200 number or at least reflecting movement in that direction. So we'll yeah. keep, we'll use this format uh, if it works for your purpose. Yeah, this is perfect. Okay. Thank you. So, so on the first item, it says uh, scheduled to convert in January 2020. Yeah. All right. Is that the date? Uh, yeah, but so so actually, I'm glad you clued in on that one uh, because it is an important update. So yeah. we're finalizing the budget. Uh, and remember, we said in the budget we're going to have some things move north and south over the course of this month, and then bring the final budget to you. The one initiative here, we had that slide that said uh, we were uh, moving urgent care from its uh, space upstairs and swapping it with the ortho clinic and the K building and vice versa, uh, and that the fiscal impact or let's say the uh, access impact was uh, an additional 1,040 visits because we were trying to capture left without being seen volume in the uh, ED as well as in opening up the uh, urgent care for from schedule to walk-in uh, capacity. Mm -hmm. um, as we've continued our work here uh, and, and, and really gone into greater detail with our IT folks and with the operational folks, um, uh, mainly on the IT side, there was some concern about the ability to uh, build the templates and all the other stuff that necessary to do this in uh, January. If I recall correctly, the discussions were, well, you know, with all of those challenges, the realistic likelihood or more realistic likelihood is that we could do it in like April or May. And then the question became, does it make a lot of sense to incur all of the cost and all the other stuff associated with doing this for two months in this fiscal year? Or do we move this forward to next year? If I recall correct, and, and the fiscal impact in terms of net increase in dollars is less than 100000 It's $86,000. Uh, so I, if I recall correctly, though, the plan ended up being that we still, or the plan as it currently stands, is that we wouldn't operationalize it in uh, 20, um, uh, FY20, but we would still lay the platform and the groundwork for actually having this in place by the beginning of 2021. Correct. So we'd be looking at implementation at like July? Correct. And then we have a full year of benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but in the meantime, because there were some considerations and concerns around, you know, the, the um, this approach limits access uh, from a scheduled basis for people who are not assigned to us. And so we'll have to try to work through and see how we help people in the meantime, as well as on the ortho side, we have the challenge of you know when patients need x-rays and things like that, which was a benefit that we have a unit over here. We'll have to weather that for another year, but we'll be working with the team to try to mitigate the uh, the delay in this and the impact it has on them. So will, will it continue to be a same-day clinic in the meantime? Yes. And so it will continue in its same location as a same-day clinic. And uh, just to speak to this piece, uh, when you, uh, assuming you approve the final budget, 
this will, when we bring the budget back to you, this one will take off. Uh, uh, and so as a matter of tracking these, you wouldn't see that one anymore. Uh, because it's in our draft budget, we put it there, but it may not be in the final budget. So the way it's set up now, are those visits considered just part of primary care and under our capitation? That's correct. Um, not under capitation. Um, or actually, I think it's only under capitation if, if they're assigned to us, but I don't think all the patients, I mean, we see folks who, that's under Medi-Cal, but we see folks, i.e. our own employees, who are getting uh, care there who are covered, so they wouldn't be included there. So. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. And so if once it becomes an urgent care clinic, then will we be able to bill under a different negotiated rate for urgent care? For those that aren't, yeah, yeah, that aren't under that structure, right. yes. Or for all, right? Because? Uh, you, I don't know, okay. let me check that. Yeah, I don't want to speak to her definitively if I, I was looking over but I actually know where she is right now. So, um, uh, I will, let me, can we get back to you? Sure. The answer then? Thank you, good question. <laughs> good question. I had a question about the July financials, Lewis. So when you, when in the past, when we've looked at Bob Health, we haven't had registry much like of anything over there. So I kind of want to understand how you distribute that. So I know there's acute, there's ambulatory, there's, you know, sub, sub acute. In population health, the, this big jump in registry that's happening. Like, so, what what are the things that come under population? And is it the whole person? No. Like, is that what's allocated to it? No. So, so, so I'll get to that in the next slide here. Oh, so okay. let me do that. Oh, yeah, so so I, um, <coughs> Trustee Peterson, obviously astutely got you know ahead of me and and, and pointed out sorry, point, sorry. pointed out the uh, the uh, no. But I'm glad. You know what? You're looking at this stuff, right? This is excellent. So, so thank you, Delvecchio, also for just clarifying. And so that's where we're at with this, and we'll make that correction for the next that's month. Great. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that we at this point reflected everything that had been previously discussed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as Ann mentioned, again, pending the uh, final approval of our budget, the, you know, the, 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 the numbers that we're reflecting are just based on the interim budget, okay? So as we look at population health, uh, so to Trustee uh, Banerjee's question here, so as you can see, our salaries and wages um, are uh, below budget, uh, but our registry took a, a, an increase here. And so this is driven by, you know, we're, we are bringing in and we've brought in additional registry support uh, in the care management field. So these are these are care managers and social workers. So these are non-nursing uh, staff. We know so I mean they're nurses, but they, they're they're considered and they're brought in under a different category. And it's because of some of the changes that were happening, you know, that we're dealing with right now in care management as a whole, as we're working through that staff, working with that uh, operation to make sure that we're adequately resourced to make sure that we're managing the, uh, the activities of day-to-day -day as far as patient throughput and patient flow and those types of activities. So they do have registry. Uh, we're just seeing a slightly high number, higher number at this point as we're looking to backfill some of those vacancies. Uh, I am pleased to say that uh, we recently appointed uh, a manager for um, Alameda Hospital, and so that, that person will be starting very soon, and so we're very actively working with recruitment and HR to fill these roles. The reality, and I will share with you all, is that care management is extremely difficult to, to fill. It is a, it is a, a position that you know, takes time for, for recruitment and to find people that are qualified for that role. And so we've had some challenges, but we're really working actively to make sure that we can backfill those positions here ASAP. But that's what's driving that. It's just essentially filling for currently vacant and open positions that we have. 
Great, thank you. And in my head, I always thought registry was clinical. So mm -hmm. Oh no, we have we have registry okay. in in non-clinical areas, yeah. and we have registry in ancillary areas such mm -hmm. as imaging and and uh, lab. We have uh, in in accounting. the business office in accounting and the business office we have temporary staff or registry staff so we've been we, we use those again uh, typically and traditionally it's either to cover a an extended leave of absence or uh, critical vacancies that we need to make sure we continue with the work thank you okay, okay uh, and then in the other area so uh, provider delivery uh, again we're, we're continuing to to do that work and we're ramping up here uh, you know the month of, of July and 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 August traditionally is where we see uh, movement in the vacation space. Uh, so um, I don't know why, but you know the doctors take vacation too, um, and so you know we'll see. I don't know why Doctor and stuff. You know we'll probably have to kind of deal with that. <laughs> but uh, again, we're no no, no major. Rested back there. <laughs> Uh, looking at ambulatory, I just wanted to share here in ambulatory, uh, there, there are a few things that we're working on here. So, uh, again, focusing on this year, one of the things, one of our one of our key initiatives is making sure that our primary care volume will go up by 3%. When you look at the primary, the first month of July, we see that we're at 5% below our our current target or the interim budget. And so, uh, what I will say is, uh, you know, uh, Paula and her team are, are all completely on top of this. This is uh, largely driven by some several vacancies that we have at some of our primary care clinics, one of which is being filled uh, now in September, and the others which we're working through at this point. But they have extended their, their panels. They have been working to uh, ensure that they're seeing the additional patients, and they're actively working to make sure that we reduce, continue to reduce uh, our no-show rates. And so, again, they're still, they're still on target. As you can see, though, on the other hand, our specialty visits are above target by 2%, which if you recall last year, uh, we struggled with managing and, and meeting our targets for specialty care. So again, the work that they continue to do in ambulatory, uh, Paula, her team, and, and all of our, our service chiefs and providers, I mean, they're doing great work in revisiting and reevaluating all of their templates, focusing on standard work, and we're starting to see some of those benefits, and we're gonna continue, once we fill those vacancies, continue to see those uh, improvements. Uh, then you translate that now to their operating financials. As you can see, uh, they, they have registry uh, there as well uh, in those areas. But largely, salaries and wages are below uh, budget uh, by 5%. Uh, and their key performance statistics, I mean, they're well, well below budget by 5.5%. And they're uh, certainly in target as far as their FDs for clinic visit. Uh, so again, great efficiencies on how they're managing their workflows. In the acute care setting, uh, all I wanted to point out here is that uh, uh, you know we're continuing to see improvements um, in our CMI, and, and again, largely driven by uh, you know just better uh, documentation. Uh, Alameda Hospital, you'll see, and I'll point out, was uh, quite a bit higher at 1.32 versus a 1.12. Uh, that is largely, I would say, driven by the fact that uh, we've been really leveraging Alameda Hospital as, as a resource or a valuable asset within our system to transfer patients and help decompress Highland. And so uh, we're starting to notice that equally with the, the acuity. Although we have limited resources out uh, or limited capabilities uh, at Alameda Hospital, uh, they have been taking patients a little bit sicker. And so the hospitals group out there and our providers are doing phenomenal work. Other key statistics are surgical volume. Like I said, some of that was largely driven by uh, some vacations that we had on our schedule. 
uh, and the ED visits continue uh, to trend uh, the way we've been seeing them over the last couple of years. Um, actually, the last two years, they've been, you know, every year has been somewhat declining, and so we're continuing to see those trends here. Uh, as far as the performance, what I will say here is that uh, although salaries and registry is slightly above budget, uh, a, a lot of this is uh, due to some of the backfill that we've been doing uh, that is being captured at the unit level. So these are expenses that we as an organization made a decision that we were going to ensure that the managers, so they continue to maintain accountability for these uh, efforts, uh, that all those charges will be back charged to the units. And so, again, we, we, we began ramping up uh, at that time, and we're continuing to see that. And we'll probably see that for the next couple of months as we're making sure that we're having all of our people, all of our staff go through the appropriate training sessions and, and all that work in preparation for our go live. Behavioral health, uh, I, I will point out here uh, just a couple of things, and that's the, again, our emergency visits are 33% below our target. That was largely driven by several census holds that we had, and, and again, the, the, our ability to continue to uh, manage that uh, environment in the PES. It, it's become very challenging. There's been multiple days when we've had a census in the PES of greater than 60. Uh, so 60, 62, 68, um, and so it's been it's been uh, very challenging. So we're, we're we're making sure that we maintain a safe environment, not only for the patients but equally for the staff that's providing that care. And so we've had to go on census hold, and as a result, we're we're seeing that impact. Uh, the impact, obviously, of that is the EDs are having to hold on, and they're they're managing and continuing to care for those patients in their EDs, which then also has a downstream effect on how that affects sure. their operations. So we're very sensitive to that. We're really working hard to make sure that we're managing that, uh, that aspect in the environment. That's going to be the work that continues moving forward. How do we continue to identify ways to help not only decompress the PES by finding alternative uh, methods of caring for those patients beyond the four walls of John George? And then lastly, that's supported, as you can see here, by the case mix index, which is at 1.13 versus 1.02. So again, higher acuity uh, patients that are coming in with multiple uh, diagnoses and trying to manage that population in a very different way. As a result of that, equally, you'll see here that our salaries and wages are above budget by 11%. That is largely driven, and then you look at the statistics down below in the center there, FDEs per adjusted occupied bed. We're slightly above budget, equally by 11%, mm -hmm. driven by the one-to-one -one coverage. And so we're seeing multiple one-to-ones, not only in the PES, but also in our forensic unit and unit B. And so again, we're really working hard to manage uh, some of that, uh, some of those aspects that are impacting the acuity of the patients. Post-acute continues to be very strong, uh, as, uh, as they always perform extremely well within all of our areas. Uh, don't have anything uh, significant to share here. Uh, and then our support services uh, are certainly in, in alignment uh, with uh, the work that we're doing with our, our teams here. And again, you know, this work is impacting, you know, when we look at support services, we're looking at, you know, largely um, all the areas like HR, finance, and stuff. So I know that in finance specifically, you know, we have a lot of work going on right now as we're preparing and ramping up for, you know, the revenue cycle. And we're trying to work really hard to address the cool and the EBU and all these areas, and so all that work that's going on. So there's been tremendous efforts that we're seeing here, but again, staff is well on top of it. They're managing their resources, and we're going to continue to 
uh, watch this closely to ensure that we're, we're within our budgets, within our targets moving forward um, as we're not only going live but beyond. Mm -hmm. And that's all I had. Unless you had any specific questions, I'd be happy to try and answer those for you. Questions? Yeah, I have a couple questions. Um, on the one-to-ones that you were saying in the forensic unit, I was just curious about, so if there's increased demand or staffing that's happening there, is that covered through like an arrangement with the sheriff? Or These are from Santa Rita Jail, right? Mm -hmm. So is this through some kind of contract with the sheriff, or is this, got, is this part of our behavioral arrangement? I'm just not sure how. I was, I was just laughing because we were having this conversation. Oh, okay. So yeah, not, not it, it's something you said. So, yeah. I, will, I will answer, but I, I would I love I don't know which. We don't know. Oh, okay, no, no. So what I, we're all curious on what you're going to say. Oh. <laughs> well, we've had, this has been a topic of multiple conversations because when you look at those pages, when, when you go to John George and Unit B, we have those uh, isolation rooms that we, um, where we manage and where we uh, place those forensic patients. There are always two deputies that are present at all times, you know, managing and, and, and keeping an eye on that, uh, on that patient and inmate that, that's there. But equally, they still require us to have a one-to-one a, a one -one there uh, for the clinical needs of the patient. And so, you know, as, as we're seeing that, uh, you know, we, we have had some conversations and say, well, you guys are here all the time you know watching this patient if something you know you can escalate and you know we can respond but they said no we're not here to address any clinical needs we need to have your own person watching the patients on top of what we're doing sitting here on the hallway just making sure that the patient doesn't act in a very different way or something like that it requires police intervention so uh, we you know we have this you know we have an agreement with with uh, the county and Santa Rita jail to care for those patients at John George uh, but there is no as far as I'm, I'm aware, there is no additional um, compensation or anything for the staffing resources. I'm, you know, that that are so required who, to support who, the staff. Who does? Who pays it? Does behavioral health or the sheriff's department? That the county no, pays it. That's that's the question we're trying to get at. Actually, oh. I was going to ask Ann, but uh, I don't have the answer to that. I'd have to get back to you on okay. that. Yeah, but exactly who pays for those patients and the care that they're receiving? I don't know. Okay. So can we? We'll, we'll look into that. We're going to get the answer for you because I don't know what either. Because I know when the, well, I don't know what proposition it was, but when the law changed that people, that we could tap into Medi-Cal when they, but, I, but since this is a moderate to severe behavioral health, I don't know what the arrangement is, but it just seems like we have increased costs. I was just wondering how we. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll have to dig into that and okay. we'll, we'll get back to you with that information because, I mean, as Mike just pointed out to me, I mean, we, we see these patients even here at Highland. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so we're providing services to. to but here at Hi so my understanding now, since the law change would be that here at Highland, we would just bill the way we normally bill, that their Medi-Cal basically gets activated when they come here from Santa Rita. But mm -hmm. because of the carve out with the mental health, I'm just not sure how the arrangement goes. Mm -hmm. Well, I will certainly, I'll make a note of that and I'll follow up to make sure we close that loop. Thanks. And my other question was about, um, I think it was on the population health. It just was about, it said something about, um, EEG and epilepsy consult. So is that is that a temporary situation where we don't have neurology coverage here, or, or is that, and I wasn't sure how it was being reflected 
on the financials, whether that was registry or outside medical services? Those are outside medical services, and those are services and procedures that we don't perform here at the facility. I mean, we do have neurology, but there are certain procedures that we don't perform, and we're sending all those procedures out. And that's something that's work that Dr. Jamaluddin and, and, and the team is looking at to see what makes sense for us to either look at bringing in someone that has those competencies and those skill sets to go ahead and do that work, or we just continue to provide those services externally. In San Francisco, mm-hmm. so for, for patients with seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it seems like a big need, just speaking from my, with my community medicine hat on, is that's a big need, um, and it's pretty stressful on patients to have to go there, so, um, yeah. Oh, I was just curious about our capacity within neurology because it says that we send people for epilepsy consult and EEG video monitoring to San Francisco. I'm just curious about our capacity here. You know, we have the capacity to monitor patients for EEG, but sometimes there are uh, cases who need an epilepsy center. So we are not an epilepsy center. The epilepsy center is is an intensive care unit where the patient is monitored all the time. They have a very comprehensive, uh, uh, like approach towards uh, towards epilepsy. So we're not like a designated epilepsy center. And we did this in New York as well. We used to send them from Brooklyn even to the Bronx to Jacoby for epilepsy center or to Columbia when they have like uh, persistent epilepsy. Mm. And we're still responsible, we're still at risk or financially responsible for that uh, If they are health pack patients, yes. Health pack. Health pack. Okay, so this is only around the health pack. Yeah. Correct. Okay, got it. Okay, thank Otherwise you. Medical is good. Otherwise medical. Otherwise medical. Got it. for those patients. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. Do you have a sense for the uh, uh, psych emergency whether those numbers are going to, we're going to see them go back up soon or you think so? You know the visits. The visits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I haven't looked at the uh, the statistics for mm-hmm. for you know I mean past July here, but uh, yeah. we're you know, what I can what I the way I track that is based on what we're seeing actively in in the daily census and how many of those days within the month we're we're having difficulties we're managing and census holds. Mm-hmm. So that based on that and gauging from that, I have a sense that we're going to continue to see those numbers come back up closer to what we're budgeting. Um, but again, just wait to yeah. see how, how that's coming. But together. you don't—you basically don't have any place to put the clients, right? You don't have the inpatient capacity. To, is that part right. of the issue? For, well, I mean, we yeah. right. I mean, you know, yeah. our inpatient, as you know, is always full. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we have good movement the, through mm-hmm. the uh, through the inpatient. But again, it's it, it's based on that demand of what we're seeing coming in through the PES. So. Our, our uh, social workers are working diligently to make sure that we're managing that throughput throughout the inpatient and equally trying to manage those patients in the PES. Yeah. And so oftentimes if we can avoid an admission into the inpatient and really care for those patients, provide some interventions, treatment, and then find an alternate location, it's obviously the ideal. Um, but that's the, and that's the ongoing work. And so mm-hmm. we're really focusing on that. We've got, again, our doctors and, and uh, internists and as well as our, our social workers focusing on those efforts. Okay. Is your sense that there's just not, not enough inpatient beds in the system? And when I said the system, the, the greater system? Community-based beds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that the answer is yes. We've uh-huh. always, I mean, I think we've said that for a long time, that there's not enough inpatient beds. But equally, I think that there's other types of services that are equally as valuable mm-hmm. and important mm-hmm. uh, that would equally need to be considered and, 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 and invested in, for sure. Okay. Yeah, we don't, we don't think the yeah. answer is 
all increase inpatient bed. But, but maybe capacity. 24 hour services, residential and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think there's some other alternative downstream and upstream services that need to be enhanced as well. Permanent supportive housing might. You got it. Yeah. The whole list. Yeah. Check, 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 and check. I'm a little biased. Yeah, it's a combination yeah. of both. Yeah, for sure. You need a menu. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like going back and forth. I've marked some questions. I can go back to sure. June. For the oh, June, June, uh, yeah. for the June um, behavioral health clinic visits, we don't have it by you know Fairmont or Highland. So we are still seeing, and they were above um, the budgeted ones. Consolidated. So, um, correct. So is the is the Highland one coming up too? I know that they had, you know, the caseload had been cut down or something. No, like no, that. no. The case. So, so what happened was in last year, mm -hmm. all of last year. If you look at all the reports from last year, we had them all consolidated yeah. as just outpatient clinic visits. Okay. We then decided, as part of this new fiscal year, as we're looking at, because part of our effort, part of our work, if you recall, one of the uh, initiatives that have been considered at one point was the consolidation of both of these services into one location. That we, we, we uh, moved away from that in this final presentation of the budget and so one of the things that we're focusing on is continuing to see how we can drive efficiencies within that operation, mm -hmm. scaling it down to the appropriate size and if we need to continue to see any type of improvements or growth that we'll be able to reflect that independently. So now what we've done starting July moving forward, yes. I've got them separate to make sure that we can see how we're progressing and how we're working with both of those operations to ensure that we're meeting those targets. Okay, so this is the first month that it Correct. was um, disaggregated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was just for us to have greater visibility on how the two uh, organizations or the two operations are working. Okay, thank you. Can I ask a question? Uh, Luis, I, I was checking, I didn't hear it. Uh, is there any uh, impact to the work that we're doing to address some of the uh, quality and safety uh, uh, opportunities that we have in behavioral health that have any impact on the budget up through the July report or that we would forecast going forward based off of the efforts that uh, we put in place. Yes, uh, thank you. I, I think that's a, that's a good point. So one of the things that we're continuing to work on right now is as part of the most recent visits that we've had from our regulatory agencies, you know, there's been a tremendous amount of effort going into evaluating our current day-to-day -day operations and establishing a plan of correction that addresses some of those gaps that, that were identified. As part of that process, uh, we are uh, evaluating all of the staffing in each of the different units, and part of that work was uh, we've increased some staff uh, as in the form of mental health specialists that are providing uh, zone overviews and patient safety rounding across the units to ensure that there isn't any type of inappropriate activity within the patients and greater visibility of what's going on. And so that was something that we had evaluated. It was identified as a gap. We've built it into our plan of correction and we've been staffing to that. And so uh, right now the work that we're doing is looking at where we're at within uh, what we had allocated and what our budget uh, items were and how we can make sure that we're bringing these to the, you know, the realities of how we're staffing the operation as compared to what we had planned and forecasted and make sure that we can reconcile the two of those. So that's work that we're doing right now. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, uh, there, there may be uh, some slight increases, but we're trying, again, still working through this process. And hopefully by, you know, the next month or so, we'll be able to have a better sense of where we're going to land and how this is going to look moving forward. Mm -hmm. Good. Look forward to hearing about that. Are we ready to move on? Mm -hmm. We have a, quite a few action items. Uh, I want to 
see if we can possibly move the Alameda Hospital project up. Uh, would that work for staff? Sure. Okay. Um, I think we might have some folks who are interested in that report. So why don't we do that? So we'll go to D and, and go through those th that report, and then uh, we'll go back to, to the uh, contracts that are under C. So excellent. Thank you so much. So I've, I've got a I've got a short presentation. Uh, the the, the contract summary that we put together for you in the packet was, uh, I feel, very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. I've tried to condense that down to a few slides here just to give you a sense of where we're at. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, this has been a project that we've been working on for quite a long time, um, and, and even way before my time, and for years. Uh, so, and, and really, truly, and with that being said, I, I want to take a second just to recognize a very special individual that if it wasn't for her efforts, we really wouldn't be where we're at right now. Uh, so uh, Kristen Thorson, who is probably sitting back there somewhere. Yes. Kristen has been bird-dogging this whole process, making sure that we not only submitted all the documents to Ashbot, that we submitted all the extension requests. They've been, uh, they, they required a tremendous amount of dialogue and back and forth and coordination with the design team, coordination with the contractor, coordination with the construction managers. I mean, just bringing it all together Truly, if it wasn't for her efforts, she's a rock star. So I want to thank her for that. Thank you. So again, in the overview here, we've got the layout of the of the uh, facility. Uh, we've got the old administration building, which is where the uh, it says administration there in that long rectangular space. I can't point with this thing, but uh, mm -hmm. back here, it, that's where the current kitchen is at. It needs to be moved into a compliance space, and so part of the work here is essentially taking that. When from the administration building, you see those two little bars. That's a bridge that connects those two buildings. Mm -hmm. That bridge is coming down as part of this work. And there's a, a true physical separation of these buildings. And so now we're looking at relocating that kitchen to where it's uh, it, what we call in that area, they're called the Stevens Wing there, where we're going to have that place, uh, the, the kitchen move relocated to. Mm -hmm. As you can see here, there's uh, several steps to the project, as I had shared with you all. and. Won't spend too much time, but you know there's a couple of make readies. We have to move several departments to make space for other departments to then make space for the kitchen to move into. Mm -hmm. And so that's make ready one and two, and then increment one, increment two is where you get into the seismic work that needs to happen. And so that essentially is jackhammering out some of the foundation, and then we're doing this technology or you know implementing this technology, which is a chemical grout injection that we're uh, putting into the soil that then hardens and fills any voids within the soil that then stabilizes the foundation. And so as a result of that, then we can come back and, and uh, relocate the equipment, relocate the kitchen itself, and then we're, we'll be in a compliant building. And again, compliant with structural performance category rating two, which is the requirement for 2020 that allows us to continue operations through 2030. Right. Okay. This is just a picture uh, of that make ready work of how we're moving departments from one location to another, leveraging current open space within the facility. Uh, this is the second component of that. So once we complete and, and vacate occupational therapy, we move EVS to where occupational therapy is currently at, and then we open up the space for our make ready there in our Stevens wing, as you can see. So highlighted in red, all of that is where the scope of work will occur. Do you have any? sense whether it's going to have any impact on census? Well, I, I don't feel it'll have an impact on census, uh, but it will certainly have an impact on comfort. Um, you know, we will see 
a tremendous amount of activity. I mean, the campus is right across the street on Clinton is houses. Uh, very, very condensed, very narrow. There's, there's going to be a lot of construction traffic. There's going to be a lot of activity. Um, so we're, we're a tremendous amount of coordination. So we'll, we'll have to work through that. In fact, I uh, met with the uh, uh, city, city leaders yesterday, uh, the mayor and, and city manager and others, uh, where we gave them an update. And they are equally going to be very involved and engaged and working closely with us to ensure that we're communicating with the community and that we're managing that, uh, that aspect. So it's, it's, it's going to be very, you know, you're jackhammering the foundation. And so we'll have to work through that. I know that Richard and, and Ronica, very involved, very engaged, the site leaders at Alameda, making sure that we take steps to communicate with families, communicate with patients, you know, providing them comfort kits, you know, where they can have earplugs and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're trying to do everything we can to minimize the disruption, but it's going to be a long two years. And then this is, again, the, the, the increment two or the final work of the kitchen relocation of what the space will look like. Uh, once the kitchen has been relocated, so I wanted to just give you that sense. Here's where it all comes together, and this is what then ties down to your contra to your summary, contract summary. We started off with our design and planning effort, and that was a, a process that was already approved by the board sometime back. If you recall, we did a pre-construction planning to ensure that we could come up with a guaranteed maximum price as part of the um, uh, the effort to finalize the project under that that mechanism of construction manager at risk. We now have multiple components here that we want to go ahead and, and bring to your attention. So we have the GMP itself, which is for a total of $17.7 million, a little over that. Uh, that's the guarantee maximum price that was provided by the contractor late in construction after their pre-assessment and you know thorough review of the facility. We are then asking as well for, uh, there's as part of the process, we have identified that, you know, oftentimes it's better for us to owner, furnish, contractor, install certain pieces of equipment so we avoid the overhead markup and some of those other expenses. And so we've built in a budget to do that. That 1.3 million is largely comprised of kitchen equipment. Uh, some of the, most of all the kitchen equipment that we have right now is, is antiquated or obsolete and will not be able to re be moved. Um, so we're, we're putting in new equipment. That's largely that, that bucket. Then we've built in an owner's contingency. As you can see, it's essentially 10% of the construction cost of 17.7 million. 10% is usually relatively high in construction terms. I mean, I, I will tell you that's a higher than uh, average number from what I'm accustomed to in contingencies. The reason we've built that in in this fashion is because we know that Alameda has a uh, you know, the infrastructure of Alameda is undetermined. Uh, the, it's an, an, an old, old facility. There's been a tremendous amount of deferred maintenance. And we're just very concerned that although we have a guaranteed maximum price, I want to make sure that everybody understands. The GMP is based on the contractor looked at all of the plans and specifications that were put together by the design team. They then took those plans, and as part of this pre-construction assessment, they walked the site and investigated as much as possible what they were going to run into, and then we made adjustments to that and accounted for any potential hiccups. But absent x-ray vision of looking through the walls, and in some cases through ceilings, um, yeah, you just don't know. And recognizing the infrastructure, recognizing the age of the facility, recognizing you know, the deferred maintenance, 
I don't want to have to come back and say, oh, you know what, sorry guys, I don't have enough money. Right. Yeah. And so we want to have that. Again, my goal, and very proud to say that the team uh, worked really hard in San Leandro and we in fact completed that project on time, on budget, and didn't use the contingency. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. that's our plan, but we want to have it in the event that that happens so we don't delay the progress of the project and keep things moving forward. So I wanted to make sure that that was clear so everybody understood uh, the, the process and the rationale. Right. No. So no, Mike was mentioning that uh, in the GMP, the contractor himself, uh, themselves, have built in a contingency as well. I was going to ask. But that's a contractor contingency, Got so. It. You know what percentage and is on that side? It's 3%. Got it. And so, Again, if I need so to describe the, if I need to describe the differences there, I mean just very quickly. So I mean the contractor is, you know, we we if they missed something in the plans, the plan says that I need to have three doors here, and they only bid for two doors. That's your problem. I have a GMP, mm -hmm. a guaranteed maximum price. So that comes out of their contingency. Now, if through this whole process here, you know, we find something that was not in the plans and that we need to we need to address as the owner because of you know the, the current building conditions or whatever then that comes out of our contingency that, would, that would be the change orders then. the change orders yeah so that's like a 10 percent that seems pretty standard right 10 percent no 10 percent is high it's high okay so what do we usually just usually get? it's you, your contingency is usually no more than five percent okay so you did 10 percent because of all those factors you correct mentioned on the, okay thanks that's, that's the reason why we went a little higher yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, building costs Okay, and then the last component, uh, which is the administered, uh, administrative cost funding of 1.7, what we've captured in this bucket here is we have a construction manager, uh, which we, we, you know, is the owner's representative to work closely with the contractor to make sure that we stay on target, on budget, and manage that. So that's largely uh, those costs there, supporting those efforts uh, for us, and we've broken that down for you all. But that's. Again, that you know, a project of this size, of this magnitude, with all the coordination and activity that needs to happen in a fully functioning hospital, we need to make sure we have the adequate support. Is that provided by a firm? Yes, sir. That, that'll be Porter uh, Porter Construction. Okay. Good. Equally, they were the the construction managers for San Leandro. Right. Phenomenal work. Good. So again, trying to keep that team intact. San Leandro Construction, same superintendent, you know, same construction manager. I think we had great success in San Leandro. We hope to replicate that in Alameda. So we had the first reading of our budget that we're going to look at in two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I thought we had $27 million in that budget. For we did. We did. So we actually came in, uh, you know, total project cost, uh, much better than that. Good. Well, much. <laughs> two million, which that's I a lot scoff of at. What, uh, at what point did two million come money? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a lot of money for me. When, when, when you have deficit debt on your own. I would do two million, million right now. I would too. <laughs> let, me, let me be very clear about that. Uh, and I'll take two from all of you. Um, uh, no, well, I, I, would, I would defend yeah. stat, you know, He's right. the, the marketplace around construction right now. is yeah. it, The norm is to see you. 
and, and, numbers go up, not and, and that number, uh, if you recall, was based off of a high water mark of the last bit that we got, exactly. which yeah. we thought was, it was way more than we expected it to be, and so we were hoping through this effort to be able right. to come in better than that, and this has materialized. Well, yeah, I, I want to just note it. that, too, that uh, I know that caused some angst with our partners, but it seems clearly that was the right thing to do, that we weren't able to well, get and I to the right price point. Yes, sir, and I want to highlight two things, that, that uh, the delta between the previous contractor and uh, would have been much greater, mm -hmm. recognizing that, number one, in their GMP, when we were reviewing, and it was one of the points of discussion, they were thinking that they can do the project in 10 months because they were trying to, you know, do it all at once. Got it. How can I do that all at once when I have to still run a hospital? Right. And so the, the, the new construction schedule is 22 months. So when you add another 12 months to that, your GAs, you know, your uh, mobilization costs, I mean, all of that would have been yeah. significantly higher. Right. Secondly, as part of this pre-construction assessment, latent construction identified a flaw in the submittal for the chemical grout injection. Uh, and so they pushed back with the consultant, with our engineer, a structural engineer, Fugro, and they actually came back and had to change mm -hmm. their specification. And so the previous contractor bid on it, mm -hmm. a couple hundred thousand. It ended up being over a million. Wow. So when you add all that stuff together, it would have even been beyond what we had budgeted. Mm -hmm. So there was a pretty significant delta, again, well worth the exercise of saying, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. We need to go with somebody else. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think the board appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the guys who did the design, it was just design, and then like we didn't Correct. do the design and Correct. build. Yeah, this was not a design but build. But San Leandro was. No, San Leandro wasn't either. San Leandro was also, we, we did a construction manager at risk as well. Oh, okay. Very exact same model, hence the reason why we decided to, again, replicate and use the same program here. So do you have more slides? No, this is it. Um, okay. So uh, again, I, we just wanted to break it down. So there are several uh, um, items for approval. We wanted to just get that. Right. So are there other questions um, for Luis? Uh, one. We, we we won't have a problem with the state in that it's going to be a 20-month 20, 20 process? No, no, this was all built into the extension request that we submitted under a, uh, SB 2190. And so, AB 2190, one of those, ABSB, a, one of those. But in our extension request, we did. One thing I'd like to point out, there there is an error on your on your agenda. The contract summary is correct, but there is an error on the agenda. You, you mind, you clarify that for us? Uh, yes. Item D4, I believe. D4. This is related to administrative costs. And it's really just with the date uh, at the end. So the agenda says that the term of the proposed agreement shall be effective 10-1-2019 through 12-31-2021. Mm -hmm. And the contract summary I apologize, my computer was just like, hold on a moment. Then the contract summary says uh, that it will expire on April 30th, 2022, I believe. Correct. And my understanding is the summary. Correct. And so we wanted to make sure that, as, as although the project is slated to be completed in 2021, yeah. we have closing 
Yeah. And we want to make sure that we have that. Um, we could just amend this. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you. So then the action should be as amended. Uh, uh, correct. Yeah, like, like I said, the contract way. summary is correct. It was just the agenda item, but if we can, with the amendment, that would be be approval requested. I'll make sure it's clear. I'm gonna, you know, I maybe someone wants to move all four items in one motion. I'll move with the amendment. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you, Luis. Good work, yes, sir. Thank you. I will thank you for the contract. I never thought reading contracts would be fun. <laughs> wow. You did the wow. an endorsement. Welcome. <laughs> Great. So we're going to go to on to uh, back to C. The action items related to contracts. If I can find myself here. And C one. Uh, this is a radiology. Professionals, it looks like. Are you presenting? I can. Um, basically, this is a proposal for the renewal of our existing teleradiology agreement. Um, it had an initial three year term. Um, the one interesting thing that happened under the current agreement is that we expanded services from Highland, which is how we brought VWAD in 2007, and we systemized. It was part of a long term strategy to systemize radiology across the board, and it is a complement to our provision of AHP employed radiology services during what you'd call daylight hours if you will, and then in the evening, that's when primarily, and weekends as well, we use VRAD. So they partner with us to help extend. It also fundamentally addresses certain imbalances in the market that we cannot afford to compete for sufficient numbers of FTEs to actually employ 24-7. So this is the more cost-efficient way to go. Um, aside from that, um, we did realize a small volume discount when we expanded with systemization, and we were able to um, basically keep the increase to what's actually for the specialty a quite reasonable 5%. They will not get an increase over the course of those three years either. So that includes any what you would call bump that they would normally expect in years two and three. Right. Okay, good. I, I have one question, um, and this relates to other contracts too. I did see a comment on local, uh, the local preference for uh, for this contract or some of the other ones. Is, do you have anything to say about that? With this right now, for this particular agreement, um, this is a virtual company. And as I understood it, we, for reasons of quality and proven ability to lead in this field with regards to how we work, we chose to go with them. Um, with regards to our emphasis on implementing local, I believe that right now it's fair to say that although we have outlined a plan to the board, we are still working to sometimes on an ad hoc basis balance the desire to focus on getting what is necessary when there's simply maybe nobody else. Yeah. And then when there is a somebody else to make sure even if there's a local somebody else, are they the best not only for quality meeting our needs, but can they also meet our budgetary? Right. We, we have to serve a number of masters, and I will be first to say that I am still struggling to generate a comprehensive approach to this. Yeah. And okay. I will be working, and that's for the rest of this year, to figure out the best way to do this on a more consistent basis for you. I appreciate that comment. I actually should have been more precise in my question. I'm just looking for what's the you know, general comment about the local preference and this particular contract. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, I didn't ask it very well. Um, you gave me a much better thorough answer. 
Is there a specific place, I'm sorry, that there is a reference to it, or you're out, um, you mentioning that there's an absence? So, I mean, I, I'm just looking for, is this company headquartered oh, oh, no, somewhere else? They're actually headquartered in Minnesota. Um, they um, draw on physicians who are across, as far as I understand it, the entire United States. The majority of them, however, physicians, that is, tend to not practice in this area. The reason I know that is because they have 53 physicians. All of them have to be um, credentialed in order to work, even though they're not stepping foot in our facility. And there's little quirks of the way Medicare billing goes that also have implications for that. And so the majority of them are out there. Part of, in reality, and this is part of that tug of war between wanting to focus on local and wanting to get the best deal, you will have to pay more for a radiologist who has to carry the overhead and has the market buying ability if they're in, say, the Bay Area or in California writ large as opposed to if they're in Minnesota or in any other state that pretty much any other state now in the United States yeah, aside from California. So Good. that's part of it. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Just one, uh, uh, there aren't uh, like many companies like this in California. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, they have assigned trophies to us. We have collected, uh, you know, every year above $2 million from the assignment trophies. Got it. Good. Thank you. Uh, other questions regarding this contract? Uh, motion? I know. I so moved. <laughs> Second. All those in favor? Aye. I think I think trustee manager may be seeking a point of clarification. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, I thought oh. it was four, four contracts. This that we moved? No. Was did I move? We did. Else? We did four for the Alameda Hospital. Oh, was this, this is the line items. Oh, line items. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just thought we had. No, the, and then we're taking each contract. I can tell that's what you're wondering Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. No. <laughs> so let's start that over again. Is there a motion for 1C, contract related to radiology? I make a motion for 1C. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, we're there. Did you get that wrong? I did. <laughs> <laughs> we're making sausage today. <laughs> okay, uh, C2, uh, tell language contract. Yes, uh, so again, this, was, this is for our external or our, our support for uh, language services, interpretation services across the entire system. Mm -hmm. um, as, as we indicated in our summary, uh, you know, we went through a very comprehensive uh, process, uh, RFP process, uh, to review multiple uh, vendors. Uh, we initially started with almost 20 different types of vendors and we narrowed that down. There were several rounds of review and evaluation that went on. Uh, uh, Sylvia Lozano and, and her team were, were instrumental in that. This was a, a multidisciplinary effort, uh, recognizing that the biggest users of the of the program are many times our physicians who are interpreting for um, for patients as they're delivering care. This is a mandate, one of our regulatory mandates. It is a requirement as part of our patients' rights. And so um, we have in-house staff that provide some support. Uh, we actually have about 30 staff members that provide a variety of languages. Um, but the demand certainly clearly exceeds uh, you know, our capacity within that staffing. And so therefore, we, in order to minimize the impact of patient care, we have the ability to leverage an external resource through this language line to make sure that we provide not only those languages that we do not have the capabilities to do at this point in-house, and any excess volume or any additional need, more specifically in those languages like uh, Spanish uh, and, and Mandarin and those types that we have an extremely high demand here within this region, within this area. 
And so we went through that process. We identified multiple vendors, narrowed it down to those top five vendors, went through a, an exhaustive, exhaustive review of uh, all of their skill sets, uh, all these, uh, you know, through the committee and through the process, I want to highlight that, you know, the, the, the vendors were, were masked. <coughs> So, you know, the committee was actually evaluating what are the capabilities of these individuals to be able to provide these services and making sure that they can meet all of our requirements, not only as an organization, but also how we can continue to augment and build on our current program. And so once that evaluation was done, then they looked at the pricing, and it so happened that uh, the person that was rated the highest equally provided us the great, the best price, and that's always a great thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were able good. to identify uh, some significant savings as a result <coughs> of that as well. And so uh, we're making a recommendation and a proposal here to continue or move forward with the recommendation of the committee of moving forward with telelanguage as our provider for these services. And I think this was a contract. There was a, an appeal from one of the... Uh, the applicants, and so Correct. staff is following the process uh, around it. Yes. I just want to clarify that. Any questions? Sir? Other I'm questions? just curious. I, I know it's only two and a half million dollars, but is this something? Do we do we use the? Don't the health plans have a requirement to provide translation services, and are we maximizing that, or is there? Yeah, you want you want yeah, Helen or others? Actually, I was going to let. Folks who work most directly, Helen may know. Uh, my my answer, Helen, you can come forward if you'd like to yeah, speak to this. I, I, if you have additional detail, but I'd say the answer to it is yes. Uh, this is the 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 difference here is is predominantly if we're in, in whatever setting we're providing that. So if we're providing it in the clinic setting or the inpatient setting, um, uh, it's a difference between you know leveraging the health plan services when it's tied to services for care coordination and or uh, uh, understanding of billing and any of that stuff than uh, patient care delivery, which is not, my understanding is not that the health plan does that for us in that, in that particular construct. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, and you know, if there's more detail around, because you would experience it as well, how you're using it, then we're suddenly open to it. Well, I know there's limitations with it. I was just curious if yeah. we were maximizing it. Um, and we, we actually use, and I think our, our staff are part of it. You, you all may know about this, some of you anyway. Uh, we are uh, part of a Bay Area consortium to where um, our staff and other uh, um, delivery sites, who uh, mainly the public hospitals, who also have um, in-house language interpreters, we we basically have a service that we all share. So where we have language abilities and access, uh, we use our own, and um, uh, we're a part of a network where oftentimes even where where our staff could be calling in. Uh, for um, interpretation, interpretation services that are outside of this contract and be talking to staff at another place like San Francisco General or other <coughs> vice versa. Uh, and that's been an arrangement that is an award-winning arrangement uh, that we've put in place uh, uh, several years ago. Yeah. And, and I'd like to just very quickly, and my apologies, I missed a question, so I was like, but I was focusing on, on your, your point, and yes. I wanted to just clarify that uh, we, we have received a, a notice or an intent to possibly contest the, I see. so the, no one has contested anything at right. this point, but there we've received the notice that they, you know, they, they wanted some additional information, mm -hmm. and so it may result in them contesting um, our, our recommendation and our findings, but nothing has been formalized yet. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, local comment on this one? 
They were, there were, as part of the, the, the process, there were several local vendors, uh, and uh, unfortunately, they just did not have the capacity or the capability to really meet the needs of, the, of, of, of our organization. Uh, but... Uh, Sounds like their bids were higher. So yes. Higher as well. And restricted in, right. in, in, in their capabilities. Yeah. Okay. Well, someone want to move on this one? I move. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Um, someone's going to need to explain C3 to me in relationship to uh, the other hospital, Alameda Hospital initiatives. Just give, what are you asking for here in C3? C3 is, uh, remind me again here. Is it done? Yeah, but it looks like an action item. Oh. So I'm trying to figure out. Medic one? No, I think no, C3 was a placeholder intended to reference the subsection D. Oh, I'm sorry. But you already approved all right, of Right, so it's not a separate no, action. It's not a, no. I want to make sure you didn't need uh, more. No, no, here. correct. We, we went ahead because we wanted to break it down. Uh, it was moved down to an next item reflecting all four items. So Perfect. Okay, let's go on to C4, the Mediquant contract. Okay. okay. Shall I? Okay. All right. Um, Mediquant is a proposed arrangement that will support um, preparations for go live. Um, as I understand it, um, this is going to be to enable us through Mediquant to basically map out and archive the critical consumer patient data, if you will, that we have collected over the years in what are called legacy systems, which are the several bulleted items that are on the top of the first page of the summary. Critically, I think, for important several of those items are sorry and financials and they're elements that will have significant financial implications so we can't afford to lose the data both for financial as well as continuity of care reasons. Um, we made a decision when we determined yes we could theoretically have just kept those legacy systems after Epic go live to access it but that wouldn't allow us to maximize the utilization of Epic and it also would have cost I think an additional five million dollars over five years over having it go through the Mediquant doing the archival. So what we're essentially, as I understand it, proposing to do is take a digital photocopy of all the data that's been accrued in all of these legacy systems for the period of time. And then once that is archived, it'll be kept in some cloud accessible format that Mediquant will moderate and maintain for us. At that point in time, we can let those legacy vendors go, close those systems down, and completely work and operate within Epic with the backup of the cloud provision of this Mediquant archive data. And collectively, that will allow us to have continuity of care, maximize our utilization under Epic and move boldly into the new future. Um, if I might. I like the last um, one in particular. <laughs> I would, that is about all I feel that I am qualified to say and maybe a bit more than. Um, with regards to there's one typo on here and that is on the total vendor spend. It has two line items, although this is one contract. We wanted to break out the elements. There's a data extraction and configuration. That's a one-time extraction. That's the photocopying. And then there's ongoing licensing support and hosting fees. Both of them should have indicated a 10-1 prospective effective date. However, the one for one-time data extraction incorrectly says September 1st. We have not superseded your authority. It really will be 10-1. Just wanted to reflect that. Right. So there was that correction relates to the what was in the, the effective. Report, but it's not it's correct in the action. Um, yes, exactly. Sorry. Okay. Yes, for point of order. Good. But anyway. Thank you. 
Any questions? questions? You mentioned that, oh, how, that, that there's financial records as well. So is, is this, uh, I thought that's what you said. Yes, there so are. So is this like open billing or is that handled, is that going to be handled a different way? I think we'll, Mark, could you Mark answer that? Mark could answer I can ha uh, help add a little bit, a little bit of clarity on, on this. So there's two sets of data that we're wanting to extract. One is clinical data, and we're actually legally required to keep that for a minimum of 10 years. For minors, we have to actually keep it longer uh, than that time period. Uh, the second is financial data, and we're actually working through the details on that. Some of it will be how we run down our existing um, account receivables um, in the uh, legacy systems, and we're doing some balancing on how much we run down in the existing systems versus what we switch over and run out of the archive system. It actually has the ability for us to do AR out of it if we need to, and there's some of our contracts that will move through that. We're working through those details right now on those systems. Okay, so that includes medical billing then? Correct, yeah, oh, correct. Okay. absolutely. Oh, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Are there any concerns in terms, I know we just talked about um, already kind of seeing a dip and then also projecting a dip with the Epic Go Live and then also, so now you're talking about having to have new agreements from this system with all of the payers, is that, or? Not with the payers. Not with the payers. No. I, I think it's probably transparent to the payers. It still looks Correct. like it's us, us billing. We're just using a different platform to do it. Okay. But there'll become a point in time where we're looking at the Meditech system that we use for Alameda Hospital, let's say. And there'll be a point in time where maintaining and paying the fees for that is not going to be equal out the cost or the cash that we're getting in. And so at that point, we want to turn off Meditech when we kind of like get upside down in the relationship, turn it off and then wrap up any remaining collections, you know, people have ongoing payments or things like that through this other company. Mm -hmm. Okay. So each one of our AR systems, and we have like uh, five of them or six, we're going to make an independent decision. So, you know, we anticipate that the two Meditechs will go fairly quickly, point click will probably follow right along in that group. Sorian Financials, a little bit longer. And then EA Health and Logic, we may just run that out with them independently because they are already operating independently. And on the go for basis, it's all going to be done through yeah. Epic? Yes, and right. e everything will be done through Epic. And, oh. So we don't think there's going to be a dip in productivity of being able to bill or anything because of the because of this. No, because we're expecting all the billing to have been done. It's going to mainly okay. be used Rebilling. for follow up. Okay, got it. Thanks. Once we move it to that data, to okay. that. Since you're here, like two weeks to go, how how is it going? <laughs> it's going well overall. We have um, little fires every day, and so that's uh, part of my job. The rest of the team has been helping with me with this that we've been chasing down. But overall, we're doing actually really well. We started personalization of our positions yesterday. We had 40 of them go through uh, yesterday. I'm not sure what our numbers are for today, but we're on track um, with all of those uh, major milestones for us. So we're um, both excited and uh, nervous uh, as we go through this. It's going good. Can you tell, there's, there's actually one part of it that's already live. 
Yes, actually, Richard's in the back here, and we, we have two things that happened. One of them is we took Tapestry Live about two weeks ago, but that was somewhat a non-event because we didn't have any patients in that, but that's our overall population health system. And then we actually started the transition of long-term care patients um, today, and we blew through the numbers, Richard's team blew through the numbers a lot faster than we predicted on uh, moving the patients out of the old legacy systems into Epic, and it went really well. In fact, our uh, Epic teammates were commenting that uh, they that Richard's team did a lot faster than they'd seen happen before so that went really well and um, this weekend we're actually uh, doing uh, scheduling conversion and basically what that means is we take the um, schedules for patients that are out you know two three four months out mm -hmm. we actually load those into epic and then as we have new uh, new um, appointments being scheduled we actually are going to be scheduling those in an in epic on a go forward basis so uh, that is a big, a big lift this weekend. We have to do a lot of that manually because those sorts of things don't convert over. So we have a team of people coming in over the weekend to do those conversions. So we are there. It's uh, happening. It's exciting, um, absolutely. You get any sleep? Um, we, um, a lot of the team is not. <laughs> but they're, but they're, uh, they're excited about this. We, um, on Monday, um, we also are taking our last major um, lift of code into the system. We're making a, a, you know, a number of different uh, changes, uh, uh, you know, little tweaks as we've been finding workflows and so on like that. But, so that'll be going in on Monday as well. Terrific. Yeah, he, he, he died at Richard and look at, look at what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Are, are there questions regarding this contract? Is there a motion? So moved. Oh, I make a motion that it be approved. <laughs> we got to get you in this. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, there's one more. Thank you. And there's one more. Thank you. This is this is the Noah. Yeah, this is Noah's. And All right, and I believe C5. item C5, yes. This is a proposed um, request for approval of additional funding for the existing dialysis agreement. It was approved um, three years ago. Um, it included at the request of leadership to have an auto renewal provision in it, such that since this is an obviously vital service, there was never even the possibility that it could accidentally not be renewed and deny patients critical services. Um, as a consequence of that, um, we, however, had a specific amount of money in mind that we asked the board three years ago to approve associated with those three years. Now that we're entering into the, the first auto renewal, or the fourth year, if you will, we need additional funding. So the contract itself, just for clarity, is still in place. We're just asking for the additional funding for this one year of the auto renewal at that time. And I would make one note, a self-admission, if you will, um, due to an administrative oversight, um, this contract actually entered its auto renewal phase earlier at the beginning of this fiscal year. Um, we had a system that we have now since modified to track this primarily based on business owners who were identified at the time a contract was put in place. But as I said, that was three years ago. And as the luck of the draw happened, the two business owners key who were getting notices about this contract have both since left the organization. Yeah. And we sense. have now modified it so that I and several other people on my team also get those notices to prevent that type of thing from recurring in the future. With my apologies. No problem. Thank you. Questions? And just for clarification, this is also to, for health pack patients? That's or right. this, this, con this would... The dialysis this services? Yeah, I mean, the, right, the contract. This is agnostic as far as I know with regards to payer classification. Agnostic. 
Yeah, is it agnostic? Agnostic, yes. Oh, so basically, it doesn't matter. This covers them all. Yeah, this is this is for all services. For dialysis, yeah. This is for all dialysis services. Dialysis. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then we're able to bill payers if they have a payer that we can bill, and then for these services. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. acute in, uh, this, this is, is it's all acute. Though. So all acute. acute. Yeah. This but is it says outpatient. Uh, ambulatory. It's acute in the emergency department and inpatients throughout our system. So the ambulatory is the ED. Oh, so where it says outpatient, that means ED. ED. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Got it. Thanks. Yeah, we're not doing ongoing. Right. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Thank you. Okay, other questions? I moved to the contract. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I still need a second. Second. Yeah. <laughs> All of those in favor? Aye. <laughs> and just a process uh, question, just a clarification. The Finance Committee, I'm going to look at Mike. Finance Committee approves these contracts, but they still go to the full board, so right? So we approve it to go to the board, actually. Correct. Yeah, yes. you're, you're recommending that the board approve. Thank you. That's what we're approving. That's <laughs> recommendation of the full board. Just clarify. Um, let's I think we're there. Uh, look forward to meeting our new CFO. Again, thank you. A big thank you to Ann for filling in. And uh, unless there's anything else, I'm going to close the meeting.